Hey everyone, it's Travis. And I'm Ryan. And you're listening to The Wheat and the Chaff. And it's good to be with you today uh, on this happy Friday. Yeah, it is a happy Friday. So far? So far. So, so far. Good. So far. I so mean, far. the day's there's, not over. Exactly. There's there's still more to come. But so far, it's a pretty good day. Uh, what's new and exciting with you? Um, well, the uh, my my favorite football team is going down in flames and right before our very eyes and we're we're seeing the demise of the it's like can you can you have a franchise that is more cursed than the Chicago Bears faithful faithful listeners will notice the the pendulum that has swung <laughs> over the past several years we've been we've been running this podcast for a couple of years now and there's the pendulum just constantly swings from yeah. full hope Full hope that nothing can destroy to the full reality that your team's so, really sucky. <laughs> here's, here's, what it's, here's what it's like to be a Bears fan. Um, it's like going waking up on Christmas morning and you see in this huge box. And you're like, yes, I finally got what I asked for. This is amazing. And you open it up and it's a paper clip. <laughs> That's what it's like. It's just a prank. It's a prank gift. It's just it's it's like or it's socks. It's just a big box of socks, and you're like, awesome. And then your mom says, oh, there's some underwear in there too, and you're like, oh, it's what you thanks. needed. It's it's a it's a what it's a what, it's you, a what needed. you needed. It's not so, the gift you wanted. It's the gift you needed. So for the last like few weeks, you know, there's been talk of. Hey, the Bears might trade for Russell Wilson. And, you know, Bears fans get excited. Yeah. And we get cautiously excited because we know... You know this is how it is. You know it's like you're going to climb up this cliff and somebody's just going to push you off of it. It's true. And, and so we're, we're anticipating. The rumors are circulating. You know, the, the pro guys are... You know, the analysts are saying, yeah, this could happen. This could happen. Everybody's even, outlining their map of how to get it to happen. Even how to make Vegas. It so. Even Vegas yeah. was yeah. betting yeah. in favor of the Bears getting Russell Wilson. And then we signed Andy Dalton, <laughs> the Red Rocket. The Red Rocket. Uh, it's going to be a good season. So yeah, so that's that's basically it. You know, you, you anticipate. You're like, oh, it's going to be Russell Wilson gift wrapped. So, and so honestly, socks and underwear. You just need to go later tonight. Pull up Madden on whatever game game console you play. Create your perfect custom Bears roster with Russell Wilson predominantly at the center as quarterback. And then live out your hopes and, just, and dreams there. Because that's where they will continue to only exist. And just record and keep sending it to Ryan Pace, the general manager of the Bears. This is saying, what it could have looked like. This is what it could be, but this is what you gave us. This is what it could look like. So that's that's uh, that's basically... That's, and you know what? I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's a good segue into what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> so... so you and I both grew up grew up in this in the church environment of of purity culture. Very much so. Um, I did not have a purity dream. I did I, not either. So, but I had we plenty were, of friends who did. We were having this discussion the other night at our friend's house. Yes, and we were discussing like who we had who had a purity ring. You know, my wife was saying who had a purity ring, and I was like, I did not. And you know, then the discussion starts going of of the experiences in purity culture, and if maybe you're so, I think you need to define very quickly for listeners who may have no clue what yeah, is a purity about to, ring. A purity okay. ring is a ring that you would put on. Did they put it on their ring finger? I don't know. I never wore one. Um, I think it could go either way. I think so, it could go on your right hand or your left hand, but it went on your ring finger. Yeah, and it was a promise to say, "I'm going to stay pure sexually right until I'm married." Right, and we're not talking just like. 
you know, kind of like high intimacy. Like, uh, it depends on where you're coming from. Like, in yeah. our culture, at least in our church system, like, if you held hands with somebody, that might be leading into temptation. That might be yeah. opening the door to the devil. We came from a culture that was very much predominantly driven by avoiding the appearance of evil. Yes. Right? So, like, the, the two scriptures I remember hearing all the time were avoid the appearance of evil, right? Avoid even the appearance of evil, right? Like, so, like, if, if it appeared on it, if it made anybody even think, then it didn't matter if you did it. You were already in it. You were in uh, it. So, avoid the appearance of evil. And then don't give, a, don't open the door, right? Don't give a foothold to the devil, right? Yeah. Don't let him get his toe, his dangly, dangly devil toe into the door. And, and these were, I hate to say it, the predominant... Um, kind of guidelines of of my youth of like, and and my parents were like so so on this. Our church was very much heavily on this, so it wasn't necessarily completely in my own family, but it was hard because like my dad was a pastor at the church, so you know you got to kind of embrace some of this stuff yeah, to yeah. some degree. Um, and I think my dad had come from a point where you know he kind of you know had a had a, a growing up in a teenage period and a young young you know adult period that was fairly far from God, right? And so I think in his mind, like, these were all the mistakes that he made. These were all the different, you know, kind of hard things that he had to learn. And so it was kind of a desire for me not to have to repeat that stuff and then add on top of it this, like, hey, this stuff is now not only just possibly bad for you just personally, but it could also, like, put your spiritual, you know, eternity in question. Um, So it was... Those two were the, the the driving forces. I mean, to the point where it was like, you know, if I if I brought a friend home, um, if if she was a girl, right? If she if I brought like a, a one of my you know classmates home, like we could not be anywhere where we could possibly be alone in the house. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Like not even like in the living room alone, right? Like everywhere you had to be with somebody because. The appearance of evil could have happened. Which now I look back and go like, what was I going to do at ten years old? You know, mm-hmm. like that's just weird, man. Like mm-hmm. to to put that kind of like, I don't know. It's it's to me, you're just setting some people up for failure. Yeah. So I so I, I bring this up because you know you you probably if, if you're listening to this, you probably read the story of what happened in Atlanta with uh, the 21 year old um, male who decided to go on a shooting spree in some couple of massage parlors and killing some Asian American women. And I was reading, I was reading about this, and you know, you, you see the initial story, and then you're like, "Oh my gosh, like why?" And then you start, then the, the news stories start coming out of why. And it, apparently, he was, you know, part of a, a church. You know, religion was very important to him at, at some point in his life, at or at least, uh, you know, for a little while. And then I think it did say he kind of went away from it, but he saw these women as objects of temptation. And so he decided to get rid of the temptation. And I think, you know, as I'm reading that, all I could think of was going back to the purity culture movement. And I, I remember the book, uh, I, you know, Every Man's Battle, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that put a lot of the blame of men's, like, lustful nature and struggles with pornography and whatever else. They put a lot of that on women. Yeah. 
and saying it's your fault well, it for was, dressing provocatively. It's your it's fault women who for caused doing this. it, and it's also women who should prevent it. Because I yes. remember reading Every Man's Battle and being kind of disgusted. And I'll be honest, like here's 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 my kind of take. I I have not had a lot of time to read up a lot on this situation. I have been swamped in some other work, and so I actually wasn't quite aware of what was going on until like suddenly. Like the, I think yesterday I was just like everybody was posting about something. I was like, I apparently have missed something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's just one of those things where I was like, what are you talking what about? What did I miss? You know, um, and uh, you know, personally, I I'm not sure. I, I don't buy it from him. Um, I I think it's probably way more likely this is just a straight up like hate crime. Yeah, uh, domestic terrorism kind of deal, right? Some some dude with guns who decides to get all uppity. Yeah. Um, as, as someone who doesn't look like him and is in a possibly vulnerable position. Um, so I don't really buy the whole, like, oh, I was struggling with some religious moment and this was my time. But, but the fact that he can use that language shows that there's still, it, it's still part of that culture that kind of teaches that. I remember when I, when I read Every Man's Battle, I got, I got to a point, I don't remember, honestly, I don't think I finished it. Um, so I lost that battle. Yeah. Um, my, my, battle, my battle to finish the book I was not victorious. Yes. Uh, but I remember getting... I read it into the point where the guy was writing... And if I recall Everman's Battle, he's kind of... Like, the, the author is kind of writing from me, like, his personal experiences and his personal journey and then kind of, you know, expounding from there as to how you might also be able to, to you know, face your, uh, your inner issues. Um, and I remember reading to the point where he was driving and he would talk about how he would... When he first got in the car, he and his wife would adjust the, um, what is the middle mirror called? Why is it just blanking on me? The rearview mirror. Yeah, the rearview mirror. The rearview mirror. So that way she could watch his eyes as they passed signage, billboards, etc. Right? Like, so, so he had adjusted to where she could keep, she could keep a, a close look to make sure that his eyes, like if they passed a billboard with something suggestive, his eyes wouldn't like dart over to it. And I just remember thinking, that's just bonkers. Yeah, because you... What, like, that's just the weirdest you, thing ever. So you're relying on your wife to get for your self-control? Well, I thought, number one, I thought two things. I thought, number one, just weird that you guys would have that kind of, it, what seemed to me just like weird paranoia and suspicion. And maybe it was yeah. rightly deserved because I don't know his, I honestly don't remember like what his story of personal failing was. So maybe there was a, a level of paranoia and suspicion and distrust because he might have, have you know, been a moron. But there's also this part of me that goes, you know, you put a billboard that's massive and it's designed by professional designers to do one thing, attract your eye for even the briefest second. Yeah. Like that's literally what it's designed to, to do. do. Um, that if you look over to it and glance over to it, you know, you haven't fallen into some moral failing. You've done exactly what good marketing forces you to do like it just means that you are like everybody else susceptible yeah. to marketing yeah and i remember reading that part and just thinking like you know i don't know the dude was just i felt like he was weirdly off base because it felt to me like his quote-unquote journey of overcoming um his his lusts and his desires and his weaknesses really had more to do with just really weird communication trust issues between him and his wife uh -huh. really weird inability to kind of take ownership of his own yeah. Kind of like self. Um, I, don't, I was I was actually way more turned off and offended by the book than I was inspired or, or helped by it. Yeah, that's that's what. So I read it when I was younger. So I I was still learning 
Yeah, because I think it, that came out. We were probably like 16, 17. Yeah, so I think I read there. it maybe in my was early it, 20s. Was it like a late 90s book, if yeah. I remember right? I think I read it in my early 20s. I didn't read it when it first came out. but And I, I, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then as I got older, I be, you know, you start looking back at things that you've experienced, been taught, read. Yeah. And I started thinking, wait a minute. That actually wasn't very good because it was it was basically it was basically giving guys an excuse to be turds. Yes. And putting all the blame on the on your wives, girlfriends, yes. any females in your life, it's like it's their fault and they should be helping you out yeah. because you're well, the guy and it, and, and it made your you wife your mommy. I know. It yeah. made your wife your mommy. It's now it's now your wife's job to to tell you when you're doing something right or wrong as opposed to you just, you know, sucking it up and like doing it. Yeah. Uh, so I my patience might be a little low today. I know. Well, I was I was I found this on Twitter again. See, this is my job. Oh, this is my job. Your job. Chef, is to find the Twitter content that we all hope and dream for. But this was actually a list from a church's counseling ministry for premarital counseling mm-hmm. or even marital counseling. And it says practical ways of how to show love to your husband. Okay? Granted, you know, notice that not practical ways to show love to one another. Uh-huh. You know, um, you know, one of them and we did mention this last week with our, you know, slim shady uh, pastor. Um, if you have excess weight, build hope for your husband by setting goals to lose. Now, now, now husbands, you don't have to do anything. But, of course not. But ladies, you do it. Another one. Uh, be grateful to your husband by how you care for his castle. <laughs> just, I'll just let you marinate on that one for a while. Um, oh, oh. Uh, how you oh care, my gosh, yes. How you care about your personal appearance for him. You know, he can he can be look like a total bum and not no, shower for but, two but days. He but he won't because she will have dressed him appropriately. That's right. That's and, right, I forgot. Yeah, you gotta remember, you gotta remember, mommy mommy wife is is uh is always there for you. Um dinner conversations should focus on his day and interests. Do you remember Driscoll's book? Um <laughs> Yes. Not 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 his marital book. It was his journey into pastoring. I think it was called oh, like Reformation Reverend or something like that. I haven't read that one, but okay. I, I've read some other things or his takes on other things. His like, takes on so I think he's got a. Is it called Real Sex? Is that what it's called? Oh, maybe. I think it is. I yeah, think his yeah. book. So him and his wife. He, he and his wife. He and yes. his wife wrote a book. Yeah, they and did. I believe they called it Real Sex. I think they and did it's, too. It's it's a little surreal uh, in some places, but but before that. He he wrote a book. I believe it was called the Reformation Rev, and it was his story of kind of like, you know, answering God's call to being a pastor and, and ministry. And um, in it, he's got a section where things are just simply failing, and he's just down, and he's like all depressed, and he basically is like, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. And again, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here and poking a little bit of fun at Mark, um, but that's okay. Mark kind of deserves it. Uh, Anyway, he's like, tells his wife that she needs to go get a full-time job and possibly more because, you know, they're not making enough and, you know, he's just got to take care. Basically, this poor woman's like making a full-time job and doing all this side stuff and caring for the family. And then Mark is like, I don't understand why you're not taking care of me. Why aren't you caring for my needs? Like, it is like the most man-baby thing I've ever read. Well, with the exception possibly of every man's battle, which I was again like, why is the church fascinated with man-babies? So here's... Uh, in this, you know, the, if Carrie's it, listening, 
There you go. Man baby. If this continues, or this continues with a scorecard for wives, you can score yourself. And it's and to evaluate yourself. This is the wife scoring herself yes. or the husband scoring the wife? No, this is the wife scoring herself. Because if you honestly evaluate yourself by the scorecard, you will be able to discern where you are failing and where you need to support uh to where you need to improve to be the helper God wants you to be to your husband. If you really want to know how you're doing, ask your husband to rate you. And so, here's, um, here, here's one. Do you serve meals that are enticing in variety and attractiveness? Wow. Um, do you keep yourself attractive, though not offensively so, in appearance in order that your husband may be glad to have everyone know you are his wife? Here's the trophy wife again. Man, I got a smoking hot wife, people. Good morning. Welcome to church today. Did you see my smoking hot wife? Make sure you look at her. But not objectifier. That'd but be not object- your, That'd be sitting in your heart. Are you a good sport, cheerful, uncomplaining, appreciative, and not a nag? Oh, are you? Are you? Are you willing to let your husband have his own way and the last word when you disagree? No. <laughs> Um, do you show respect and admiration for him, not comparing him unfavorably with other men, but making him think that you esteem him above all other men? But yet, guys, we can put Melania Trump on a you, screen and say, "So here's my question, ladies, you need to look like this." Where do you put? So, what are your what are your thoughts on premarital counseling? How effective is it really? I don't think it's that. I mean, honestly, I don't think it's that that effective. I don't even push it. Like I offer it. I used to. I used to be like, all right, if we're going to do a wedding, I, we, you know, we got to do eight sessions of premarital counseling, blah, 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 blah. I just don't think it's... And now I'm like, I don't know that I don't know that it does any good. So I, the premarital counseling I do, I have a questionnaire that I have them fill out separately. Yeah. But it's very... It, 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 it talks about, you know, communication. It talks about finances. It talks about yeah. kind of the the basics of, of marriage. Yeah. And it has the spiritual aspect to it, you know. Do you do you uh, how do you view Jesus and and things like that, just to see where they're coming from. Yeah. And it's more for them, so they can see anything that. That's may what I mean, to, right? Like, so like, I'm, for I'm for I'm for the kind like now I'll do sessions like if I do premarital counseling, it's really more to kind of make sure they're able to talk and communicate well yeah. and see but, if they're on like, the same. Page. I don't know if you remember like, and maybe yours was differently. I remember when I was first taught like premarital counseling, like when you know you kind of start getting you know, schooled and, and mentored in how to run these things. Like my, my kind of first, like sitting in on a few sessions and learning how to do it was very much like, I, I am the pastor here to approve your relationship. And it was very much a, they were to kind of like defend their positions, thoughts and relationship to the pastor because it was on the pastor to decide whether or not this marriage could continue. And I remember, like, I mean, initially that's what I thought you were supposed to do because that was the only way I'd ever really seen it, you know. Um, and it wasn't until a little while, you know, like a few years later where I was like, this is a horrendously weird, out of whack, like almost false responsibility, right? Yeah. Like me as a pastor, I'm not there to... I'm not living I'm, with them. I'm not... Right. I, like, I'm, not I'm, not, I'm not there to kind of, you know, voice my approval or disapproval of... of of their relationship. I'm there to be like, Hey, you know, here's how we bring God into, into this covenant. Here's how we walk in covenant together. Here's how we bring, here's how God is going to meet you in this place. And let's just make sure we're all talking on the same page. Yeah. So I've, I've found myself in the place of like that kind of premarital counseling, I think is very beneficial. The earlier kind where it was kind of like pastoral approval to make sure that she understands her roles as a wife. He understands his roles 
as a husband, and she understands her roles as a mother because she's got to be both. Um, you know, those yeah. that one just really is weird to me. Yeah, I think this whole culture, and it goes back to what we started this with, the purity culture. I think this whole culture that we have created in the church um, has done some serious damage, and you're seeing the after effects of it where you have you have uh, what do you call them? Man babies. Well, man babies and mommy wives. Yeah, really man, my those yeah. are my official labels for them. Mommy wives and man babies. You have man babies who basically have said, "Well, I don't have to take any responsibility for my own actions. My it's my wife's responsibility to take, yeah, you know, to take responsibility for not only for her actions but for mine as well. And if I do something wrong, if I, you know, cheat on her, or if I if I'm addicted to pornography and looking at it all the time, that's her fault. She's not meeting my needs. Right, and that is just such a horrible thing. And I think that's what's led to some of this stuff where, you know, if, if this is true, if this guy, you know, went to these massage parlors and shot up these, these women horribly and killed them senselessly because he needed to eliminate temptation. It's like, that is a, that is a byproduct oh, and that's of what, a horrible culture that we again, have created. That, that's where I would also though say that, I'm not sure I'd buy that. I think that no, would be a I, convenient excuse. Right? I think it's a convenient probably excuse. Because, like, if you really just want to remove temptation, you probably could have just shot your laptop and your phone. Yeah. Because uh, chances are that you're way more connected and intimate with them than you are with anybody at the massage parlor. Yeah. Um, but so I, I think that, you know, my, my guess is that ultimately, again, his, his, that, that is probably more motivated by, you know, the racial, probably just, you know, some really weird stuff that comes down out of some of those kind of cultures in some of those areas. So, and I think uh, we've, I think we've created a culture that we look more like the, the Jews of Jesus day that could divorce their wives for, you know, yeah. looking at them wrong, you know, and, and Jesus even talked, called him out on it and said, you know, the only reason Moses gave you that certificate of divorce is be, because you guys have issues, you know, and he's, he's like, he's trying to, he's trying to get them to see, They'll be handing out people certificates of divorce right. all the time, and he actually exalted women. He's like, no, these women play a vital role. Don't see them as objects. Don't see them as something to be um, conquered. And so, so, I guess my question would be, like, what do we replace it with? Because again, you and I both grew up in that kind of culture, so it was already there by the time we were kind of, yeah. you know, you know, entering into that phase, right? Like. It wasn't like it started right as we were kind of, you know, hitting our teens, early 20s, whatever you might be, mid-teens. It's like it was it was very prominently there. Like, I just remember that being like, ever again, ever since I was, you know, 10 years old, which would have been in the 80s, yeah. it was very much like a, here's the appearance of this, here's what you don't do with this, here's how you yeah. know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, even, even at that age, you know, how inappropriately someone dressed, how modestly someone did this, how, you know, that was, that was all huge. Um... So I guess my question is like, what what do you replace it with? Because on one hand, like you know, we struggle with this because like I have no interest in in buying into purity culture. I have no interest in passing that on to my children. Uh, you know, the the church that I came out of not only gave the purity ring um, when you went to youth camp. Uh, the youth camp every week ended with this pledge that you would tithe seven years of your life to mm. Jesus. Right, so you know, here you are, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, so a bunch of Jacobs, and you and you tithe the seven years of your life because yes, right, he did it, and then of course, you know, the 
the, you know, I think somewhere in songs where it's like, you know, 72 years is what is allotted a man. Someone's like, the tithe of seven years, right? So, like, it had this whole weird, it was, again, a horrible ice of Jesus as people just kind of grabbed a scripture, could grab a scripture there and tied them together and then formed a new a new thought process. Um, but I remember, you know, I remember going to, to into college with uh, someone who had made that pledge. And then a couple years into college, fell in love. And suddenly, like, what does she choose? This person who's here with her, or Jesus, who she promised, you know, seven years to two years ago. You have to date Jesus first, dude. It was bonkers. Um, But there's a problem because, like, what what do you replace it with? Because, like, what I don't want to do is like, well, you know, just go do whatever with anyone, right? Like, I, you know, that's 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 not that's not the answer. (laughs) So I I feel like there's that weird tension of like, okay, you know, I want I want I want to be able to teach and and encourage and equip my kids and other you know other young people to live with kind of a sense the sense of here's where god is at work in you here's where god's at work in your sexuality here's where god is at work in your relationships uh without necessarily giving a you know don't ask don't tell because that's the other thing i found is i found sexual or the the sexual purity movement uh just basically created a lot of weird sexual secrets yeah you know like that was that was my that was my discovery was like holy god there's a lot of stuff that goes on that just no one ever ever admits to and then it just kind of like sits there and eats away at people for years. Um, And it's just, the whole thing's unhealthy. So, like, for me, like, what to replace it with something, we need something that's going to be both, you know, still have the parameters of, hey, this is what we see as godly, uh, or at least God-pleasing, but it's also going to keep you healthy and whole and not not cause you a massive, you know, brain explosion as you try to reconcile all these different things and experiences. So I think one thing... So if, if I guess this would be my approach. If I'm if I'm talking to like a youth group, right, about this because that's where it starts. Yeah, you know, usually, group, yeah. You know, obviously you start with Jesus and say, you know, Jesus needs to be your everything first and foremost. I'm not saying you need to date Jesus. Mm. Just Jesus needs to be first and foremost and he needs to be the number one person in your life, number one goal in your life, number one priority in your life and stress that. Then I would talk to the youth group, and I don't like, I'm not a big fan of, I, I think there's a place for it, but I'm not a big fan to start off and just like, all right, guys, you're going to go over here, and girls are going to go over here, and keep them completely separate when we talk about this. Right. I think they need to be together and say, ladies, you are a child of God, and you are creating God's image, and you are valuable. Yeah. And don't make decisions with guys that are going to decrease that value, they're going to, you know... You know, tar- tarnish that image in the sense of tarnish it how you see yourself. Yeah. And I don't want you to see yourself as an object ever and say, guys, they're not objects. And you need to treat them that way. You need to treat them as not objects for your own desires and for your own pleasures and just to, you know, do whatever you want, use them up and just throw them away. And, you know, just really stress that and, and talk to the guys that, guys, when you're in a relationship with, with a girl, you should treat her as though she is an image bearer of God. And and you should respect her and you should go out of your way yeah. to do things for her. And you should serve her because I would really stress the whole is like, guys, if you want to get, you know, you want to build a relationship in hopes to get married someday, here's here's the, here's what it says. And I'd say, you know, it says wives submit to your husbands. I get that. But here are the kind of husbands that wives are supposed to submit to. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Right. It's like 
Though, Paul said, wives submit to your husbands, but if they're like this. Right. Not, right. not the husbands that say, wives get in the kitchen and make me food. You better have the, the food on the table ready for them when I get home from work. You need to go out and do your job and get some, you know, many jobs so I can focus on preaching the gospel. Or you need to do this and you need to do that. Yeah. It's like, no, Paul said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he went on a whole dissertation about how that looks. Yep. All he told wives was, submit to your husbands if they're doing this. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. So yeah, I, think that's... That's the, I think that's how we need to do it. We need to stop with this whole, like, let's separate out, let's... And I think there's a place for that. I think if if yeah, you need I, don't to think, I don't think that you can you know I don't think it needs to be like you know never no have but kind I of think like a, a group thing you know but I think there needs to be like at least a group discussion to say like because I think guys need to see and hear at least a little bit where girls are coming from what they're thinking and vice versa girls need to hear where guys are coming from what they're thinking but then separate out you don't have to get into super big detail but then separate out and discuss those type of type of things how yeah. guys relate how girls relate to this. But then when you come back together, you need to just keep stressing, hey, this we're, we're, we're all creating God's image here. You know, yeah. We're all valuable in the sight of God. And guys, if, if you're, you know, I think when you're d- d- addressing the guys, the guys, if you're dealing with pornography and you're dealing with some sexual things and some sexual sins, it is your issue. It is no one else's. There, there is that. I, I think what we should probably do is we'll have to find a way to kind of do a, a part two to this particular episode. I think so. And we'll need to find, uh, uh, you know, someone who's willing to come on, right? Like, we'll, we'll have to reach out to one of our friends. Because basically, let's be honest, we're sitting here as two middle-aged white dudes. I know. Uh, like, what do we know? Well, well, just the idea of like, all right, you know, it's one thing for us to say this about the period. I would be very curious because you and I both have good, close friends who also grew up as women yeah. in purity movements. Uh, and I can imagine that their experience was going to be much different from ours simply because so. of, I think, what was... Because the purity movement placed so much more of the burden on them. Yeah. Right? So like, yeah. I'd be very curious to know, like, what did they actually hear? What did they experience? So if you are... Uh, a woman who went through purity culture, grew up in purity culture, and you want to come join us on the podcast for an upcoming episode, let us know, and we yes. will we will arrange that and make that happen because be uh, super fun. I feel like this could be a fun a fun you know discussion with a with a couple more voices just to be like because I have a feeling you and I would sit there and go like they taught you what yeah right like I we, think so, like yeah. we know what we know of purity <laughs> yeah. culture and we know what we know from going back and reading they about it we're studying into it right so like we know like even just from our pastoral point of view of going like okay. Now we see this bigger, fuller picture of what the purity culture is and was. But I have a feeling that there is going to still be those points where, you're like, they said what? Yeah, you were told what? I feel like they expected what? I feel like we're going to have to apologize a lot. We probably don't have to apologize a few times on behalf of somebody. We'll be like uh, for that old white-haired dude that was probably a Southern Baptist sitting down in Georgia making these rules. We're sorry. Yes. Uh, what? Anyway, I have I have very little respect for purity culture. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm so I, I hated it when I was in it. I, I I resented it when I grew up in it. I resented it coming out of it, and I resent it now. If, um, if you're listening, to, which I don't know, what's a weird thing for a pastor to be like? I would actually prefer like completely impurity culture. I don't know, like what the again. I don't know what the opposite is. Like if I don't like purity culture, does that just mean I embrace impurity? I don't know, but I do resent purity culture in that form. It just it just hits me on all the wrong levels. We should have whoever's listening if you, if you find it if you liked us on Facebook. I know we don't post there very often, but 
because we're horrible shoot, at social media ironically yeah shoot us a i know shoot us a shoot us a message and let us know what if you were in the purity culture and had a purity ring what'd you do with that ring yes that's the other thing what happened to the ring I do know. you give it away do you melt it down did you go to the did you go to the upon it did you go to mount doom <laughs> in mordor <laughs> This small golem try to take yeah. it from you were by you biting st- off your finger. Were you struggling to throw it into the fire? <laughs> the fire of Mountain Dew. <laughs> did you did you on certain date nights have a Samwise Gamgee who carried it for you? Like, hey Sam, got a date tonight. I need to really not be wearing the purity ring. Can you carry this to me? Uh, I'm just curious. There's so many things I I I, I am fascinated with when it comes to that and at the same time like i said also deeply resent so i would love to hear what some of the because i'll be frank the good thing i got to i got to take off while it was kind of like at its height and i just simply left for a different country so by the time i came back it was well established right but i was like i got to miss a good five or six years of like truly having to deal with it so uh, yeah. just as i was becoming like old enough to actually know and start to hear some of the stuff we flat out moved, and I didn't got you know. I came back. It was by that point. It was the late nineties, and everybody was wearing them. But I was like, "You, you guys are fools," <laughs> which is why I dated a Mormon. <laughs> we saw we saw the signs of the return of Sauron, and we're like, "Ah, we're out. <laughs> actually." I don't think she was a Mormon. I think she was a Jehovah Witness. But I, I, I swear, I remember coming back to the, to the states, and like the first girl I started dating was was definitely. Uh, a person of faith, but not a Christian, because um, almost everybody in the school who was a evangelical Christian was totally in on this purity thing, and just you—you you just hopped on the boat and headed out west with like, elves. I was like, <laughs> hand, me a, hand me a cultist and let's go on. Let's go see a movie. <laughs> the elves were going. We're out. We're going to get on this boat. You want to go with us? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I don't want to find that guy. I don't want to find that fiery eye in the sky. What a weird period of the church. Well, unfortunately, that's all our time today. <laughs> this has either been the best or the worst episode, but we're grateful that you're listening. And again, if uh, if this was your experience and you want to come join us and uh, tell us a little bit about it, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So let us know. All right. Talk Sounds to you good. later. See ya.